this corner, weighing in at a set of blueberries, the standard low-fat Republican, grand old Republican, who refuses to fight the Democrats the way they fight us, Governor Goofball. And in this corner, weighing in at a set of Vidalia onions, the teller of truth, the slayer of Democrats. Folks, people want a champion. A man and his microphone. The really real deal with Brother Craig, the hatchet man. Hello, America, your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming at you live here on America's Big Dog Radio Program, The Really Real Deal. And, uh, hey, thank you for being there. Welcome to today's program as we listen to a little bit of Aretha Franklin. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about two funerals today, folks. And, um, you know, it's not a, uh, yeah, that's uh, (laughs) uh, it's, it's a tough program today, you know. Um, I say a prayer before every program that the Lord would uh, bless me, that Holy Spirit would give me words to share with you, uh, my audience, that would be pleasing to our Heavenly Father. And uh, and I think today I've like kind of prayed that prayer a little extra. <laughs> uh, you know, we have we have the funeral. It may even be going on right now. Another funeral for the late Senator John McCain. And um, it's been going on for a couple of days now. I think they had one out in Phoenix uh, yesterday, and I think the one today is um, in Washington. And um, I, th- I think there's there's not a lot of truth uh, being told, and and this is this is difficult because originally I was just going to not say anything, okay. And you know it's it's it and it's that old saying: if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything. And I, I really was going to just stay away from it, okay? But it's like it's been uh, it's it's everywhere, and of course it's politicized, okay? Of, of course you you know it's politicized, and so I feel a need, and I'm going to tread carefully um, because. The man is gone, and he can no longer um, he can no longer correct himself. And when when I'm gone, hey, I can no longer correct myself. Now, while I'm here, I can I can I can correct myself. You know, the Lord can send people to um, pull my shirt sleeve and say, "Hey, hey, Craig, you know, your stuff is stinking a little bit, buddy. You 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 might want to check yourself." Okay, and and it's up to me because God gave me free will like he gave you free will, like he gave uh, the late Senator John McCain free will. It's it's up to us as individuals because we all we all have an individual relationship with God or we we potentially we we can have a personal relationship with God if we choose to have one. Okay, Um, many, many people choose not to. And that is so unfortunate. That is so unfortunate. I'm blessed to be able to have the privilege of having a personal relationship with the Lord. And so I pray that my words, uh, well, I won't say that I don't 
that they not offend anyone because I really don't care if, if my words offend anyone. What I do care about is that I speak truth and, and I speak in the spirit of, of truth, okay? And if I can do that in a spirit also of kindness, you know, um, that's preferable. But, you know, Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time for everything. You know, there's a time to love, a time to hate, a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to, em- to refrain from embracing. Um, you know, a time to kill, a time to heal. I mean, it just it goes on and on of, of these opposites, and there, there's an appropriate and proper time for each and every one. And and I and I think, you know, it, it's so unfortunate that we have people that call themselves watchmen on the wall, and they're not they're not really watchmen on the wall. They're taking up space on the wall. And some of them call themselves watchmen, but they're not watchmen. They're not they're not watching, they're not looking out for the interests of those who depend on the wall. And I'm not speaking obviously of a physical wall, although we do we do need that physical wall south of the border, but spiritually, uh we we're supposed to have walls. Our hearts are supposed to be guarded. Our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits, our children, our grandchildren. You know, they they depend on us to watch for them, to teach them, you know, in, in thy coming and thy going, in thy rising and thy laying down, you know, teach them. This is, a, this is not a suggestion. <laughs> this, is, this is a commandment, okay? Um, you know, we, and, and so the thing to do is, um, you know, I don't want to be hating on, on, um, on, the, on the late senator, but listen to the word of God, not the word of Brother Craig. Proverbs 31, 9, open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Okay? How about, so, you know, right there, that, that told me, okay, I can't stay silent because it says open thy mouth, <laughs> okay? So, I mean, what am I going to do? Stand behind this microphone and talk about sports or music or silliness or the political minutia that everyone rattles on and on about the latest thing of the day? I mean, you know, you, you take the Lord's Prayer, okay? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is the key part right here that relates to the late Senator McCain. And again, this is, this is the word of God. This is not the word of a, of a guy on the radio, okay? And it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us as so it's it's just like it's just like the book of john says okay to 
not to judge, not to judge by appearance, but to judge correctly, to judge righteously, to judge in a way that we ourselves judge. And so in the manner that you judge, so in, in many people today to say, oh, well, judge not lest ye be judged. And so you have to go into the original languages and the original meaning and intent. You can't just, you know, a lot of people like to take that verse and really, they literally, they're taking it out of context as, as though it, it, it means that we are never, ever to judge, okay? But when, when praise is heaped upon a person, that's a form of judgment, you know? If I, if, if I meet you somewhere and I uh, see the way you're dressed and I say, oh, you look nice, I've just made a judgment about your outer appearance, that, that it's pleasing, it's well coordinated it's it's nice and so and no one complains no one says oh judge not you know but if it's if it's not all that together and if you're my friend i might just pull your coattail and say well hey you you might want to you know you might want to check that out you know your 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 shirt is buttoned upside down you might want to undo those buttons and button them up correctly and I mean, if I don't, if I don't know you or if I'm just bad, you know, maybe I'll ignore you. But if you're my friend, if I care about you, I'm not going to allow you to walk in error, Particular, particularly if I think what I have to say will be welcomed in, in the spirit that it would be intended, which is to help, which is to help. And so this is, this is to help our understanding. And this is not to beat up on uh, Senator McCain. Uh, it, it's to help our understanding. And uh, but so if 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 we are to judge, then we are to judge with righteousness. And I and I and I pray that I'm able to do this in in all humility, um, because you know again we're we're all sinners uh, saved by the grace of God. If if we accept that grace, you know. It's, it's so we have to accept it. It's, you know, it's, it's there, but you have to accept it. And so I don't want to nitpick over a person's life and say, well, they did this, 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 and this, because we all did this, 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 and this, but we don't, we don't all stay in error. We don't all stay in error. And so when you see a a man who's in his eighties on his deathbed, and he's saying, who can and cannot come to his funeral? And then at the funeral, and he's planned all this out, man. One of the songs he wants sung at his funeral is Amazing Grace. Well, where's, where was his grace? Where, where, where was the grace that he showed? You know? And so, in a sense, I feel that it's okay to pass this judgment. And it, and it is a form of judgment, if I can say that again, in, in, in all humility. If I, that's, that is what it is. And so when you, when you read the Word of God and it says, in the measure that you have judged others, okay, that is the measure by which you shall be judged. 
So what measure did Senator John McCain judge others? Okay, here's guy on his deathbed, and he's passing judgment against the president of the United States, Donald Trump. You know, as though President Trump somehow has to be perfect when all the rest of us, the billions of people, we're all imperfect. All of us, including President Trump, we're all imperfect. And not only did he make sure that President Trump would not be invited, the man made sure that Sarah Palin would not be invited. Now, what in the name of God has Sarah Palin done to Senator McCain? He wrote in his book that it was the mistake he regretted the most. Really? So you regret choosing a very fine woman, a conservative, a Christian, one who was highly successful, okay? You regret that more than the accident on the, the, the USS Forrestal where 27 people died? Where people say, you know, he was hot-rodding, and, and uh, I don't really know what a wet, I can imagine what a wet start is. I guess, you, you know, you dump ec- extra fuel uh, prior to hitting the start button so that it, um, it blows out a, um, a plume of uh, fire out of the back of the, uh, the jet. You know, it's kind of like a guy with a car, you know, holds the brake and revs it up just to make a bunch of noise, which always irritates me, okay? people, You don't see it as much now as it used to when I was a kid. You know, guys with these hot rods, you just got to make noise. And, um, you know, and that's fine for a guy in a car, but uh, on an aircraft carrier with a a jet that, you know, and, and this accident, 27 people died and many, many, many people were injured. And because he was the son of an admiral and the grandson of an admiral, remember, he's John McCain III, okay? Guy graduated last in his class, last, at the the United States Naval Academy. Last. Last. And so there's no caring about, you know, the legacy. You know, I'm so-and-so the third. I mean, if, you know... If I was Craig Johnson III and Craig Johnson I had a legacy, you know, or I guess that would be Craig Johnson Sr. Now, you know, I, I never met my father, so I, you know, I don't, so this, to me, this is, I, I mean, to this day, I have an affinity for men with white hair because as a young man, I was looking for a father figure. And God gave me so many of them, my cup truly runneth over. And this man is born into a family of greatness. I mean, if I could have Craig Johnson Sr., Craig Johnson Jr., and then I'm Craig Johnson III, you know, I'm going to honor that legacy. This guy pissed on the legacy. Didn't even make an effort, I mean, to graduate last And the the nastiness with which he's treated people his entire life is legendary. And to see all these people eulogize this man 
people that beat him, by the way, Joe Biden, first thing out of his mouth, hi, I'm Joe Biden. I'm a Democrat. Everyone laughs. Okay? You can imagine if this man was a hardcore conservative Christian who upheld the principles of the party that he claimed to be a member of, would they be eulogizing him? If he had not been a bitter, bitter enemy to President Donald Trump, would these people be eulogizing him? No, no, and no. You look at how they treated him his whole life. They treated him the way he treated others. Barack Obama gets to eulogize the man. George Bush gets to eulogize the man. Donald Trump is told not to come. How did they treat the man? Did George Bush treat him kinder and gentler? You know, these Bushes love that kinder and gentler phrase. No, George Bush did not. They sent people out to rip the man apart, and that's how George Bush won the nomination from John McCain. Eight years later, ditto with Barack Obama. And in each case, they didn't, Bush didn't do it personally, nor did Obama do it personally. They sent hired political assassins to do it. Obama sent uh, General Wesley Clark to do it, to come out and, and, and trash the man. Oh, well, just because you're a war hero, that doesn't mean you're going to be a good president. And just went on. I mean, come on, folks. I need to tone it down. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and this is why I didn't want, I, my, my original plan was to just avoid this altogether, but it's just, it's, you know, the, the, the lack of candor and truthfulness and the disinvitation to Sarah Palin, who she has been so gracious. And then, and these people who, these people, they literally conquered the man. It's almost like, you know, you drive around and you see uh, cities and towns and streets and avenues named after all these different uh, Indian tribes who were conquered, okay? And so it's like, okay, the, the, you, you want to honor the people you conquered because, you know, no one wants to say, well, I conquered a chump. No, you want to say, well, I conquered a great people because that makes you look great, you know, because anybody can conquer a chump. But... When you look at how this was done, you know, with, with um, you know, blankets off of sick people, you know, uh, you, you say, okay, you can have this land, and then all of a sudden, oh, no, I think I want that land. We're going to make you march 10,000 miles, okay? And so, and then you want to honor the people that after you've treated them horribly. And the sad thing about it is that this man was under such self-delusion that his his images of self-grandeur, that he participates in this by planning out this entire, he planned out this entire funeral, who's to be the speakers, who's to be invited, who's to be, I've never heard of disinviting someone from your funeral. I've did, never in my life have I heard that. There are people with whom I do not uh, get, a, you know, agree or get along. I would never say, "Well, man, I hate you so much. I don't want, I don't want you at my funeral." I would never say that, and I think most of you would never say that. And as for Sarah Palin, you know, and I know the man would was bitter with um, President Trump's remarks, but President Trump he gave remarks like that to, you know, against everyone. 
that was in his way. You know, he's like King Jehu in the Bible who, who drove furiously. This right out of the word of God. Jehu drove furiously towards the palace. And that's what Trump did. Because that's what we need. That's what God ordained to be done in this hour. And this, so this is just, this is, this is, this is really, really some really, really horrific, horrific stuff. Okay. And again, you go into God's word and it says, how can light and darkness walk together? Second Corinthians. How, how? And so, you know, this is a guy who's, you know, he's being forced upon us and kind of in an attempt to really, and, and again, this is political. They want either his wife or his daughter to, to, to be elected to replace him, uh, an anti-Trump, an anti-Trump vote in the Senate, okay? And they're trying to drive Trump's uh, approval numbers down. And they've even said so. There's, they're like, they're calling you, the, the uh, if, if you're a, a supporter of the president, they're calling Trump supporters selfish. It's how dare these people. They're voting because the economy is good. They're voting. They think that, that abortion is going to be repealed. They think they're going to keep their guns. Okay, these people are selfish. Don't they realize that, you know, we've got the McCain funeral and McCain is honored as a hero and how does that make Trump look because Trump's not invited and you know they're beside themselves that the core group of Trump supporters will not abandon Trump and have the nerve to call people selfish to say well wow look at all this bad news we have against Trump it's this is supposed to be a funeral but it's a political event and it reminds me of um, several years ago when um, Coretta Scott King died and she was uh, eulogized and uh, then president, a sitting president, George Bush was on the stage and you had Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, you had, I think it was Fauntleroy, uh, you know, a couple of NAACP types. It was about five guys up there. And these uh, four of them are, Poverty pimp Negro so-called leaders, okay? And each one of these Negroes walked up to the microphone, and rather than eulogize uh, a great woman, Coretta Scott King, they took the opportunity to bash the sitting president, Donald, um, not Donald Trump, it was George Bush. And of the five men, I remember this like it was yesterday, of the five men on that stage, the only one that had something nice to say or anything to say about the late, great Coretta Scott King was George Bush. That, I mean, please, people, please, there's a time for everything. Please learn how to take politics out of these funerals, okay? And, um, you know, later in in the second hour, we're going to talk about the, uh, the, the, the funeral up in Detroit for uh, Aretha Franklin. Same thing. Politics. Okay? Anyway, enough of that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and we'll be back with a, a fantastic guest about uh, taking your children out of school.
Welcome back to the program, America. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on America's Big Dog radio program, The Really Real Deal. And uh, my prayer always, folks, is that we're giving you uh, truth, and uh, we're giving that truth to you in a way that the Lord would be pleased. So, um, hey, we have another uh, fantastic guest um, my sweet wife always lines us the very, very best uh, guests, and we have uh, Mary Rice Hassan, and uh, she is the Kate O'Burney Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in D.C. Uh, she's a University of Notre Dame uh, graduate, and um, she speaks and writes on women's sexuality, culture, family, faith, you know, right up my alley and right up your alley. And uh, many of you know I am the school choice advocate uh, over at the Virginia Christian Alliance. And uh, I'm telling you, this book that she's written, Get Out Now, you talk about singing off of the same hymn book. And uh, Mary, uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing with us and joining us. And thank you for writing this book, you and your writing partner, Teresa Farnan. Thank you so much, Craig. It's a joy to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the the biggest thing I see that you're pointing out is 100% true and why more people don't realize it, you know, escapes me. But the fact that we are feeding the demise of this nation by sending out, it's that old saying, you know, you, you send your children to Caesar and then you act surprised when they come home acting like Romans. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. We're, because if we look at the disconnect between what parents want for their children and what they think they're getting from the schools, the kind of formation, and then what happens by the time our children are graduating from high school, most of them are leaving their faith behind. Yes. They're, they're no longer believers and practicing their faith by the time they're leaving high school before they even get to college. Oh, yeah, even middle school. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's horrible. And this, uh, you know, and people think this gender identity stuff, I mean, it's, I find it amazing how is it that people can still be so naive and so dumbed down that we can't see that the, all this gender talk, this is not about being nice and being equal to homosexuals. This is actually an attack on God's holy word when he says male and female created he them. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. You know, and most of this gender identity stuff and, and the transgender agenda comes in through the anti-bullying programs. But you put it exactly right. We know how to teach our kids to be nice and kind. And teachers for generations have been helping to reinforce that message with kids. But now they've got these anti-bullying programs, which are really an excuse Mm -hmm. to teach every child that there really is no such thing as male and female. There's only what you identify as. Mm -hmm. And that could be anything and it can change from day to day and that our kids no matter what we teach them at home have to go along with that 
or they look like they're being mean or bullying or unkind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I, I think to a degree it's laziness on the part of parents because this is so, this is blatantly obvious. This is, this this used to be, 20 years ago this was subtle. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. it's blatant now. It's obvious now. It's, um, I mean, and and not just the LBG, all these different uh, alphabets that they, they push with all this uh, sexuality, but they do the same thing with um, pushing Islam over Christianity. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, I'm not sure it's all laziness. I think some of it is. Some of it is parents thinking back to their own great memories of, of their local public school and how great it was, or they know the teacher that their kids have, or that it's a great principal. And what they're missing is this agenda is being pushed on our kids. And good teachers wear a straitjacket when they are in the schools. They can't be a person of faith. They can't tell our kids the truth that there's male and female. And then the schools, many of them now have really disturbing policies where they say they will not tell parents, even if their own child starts mm-hmm. to become gender confused. So parents are being kept in the dark. Mm-hmm. And that fact alone should be setting off alarm bells yeah. to parents. Yeah, and What I think, aren't you telling me? Yeah. I th- was it Oregon? I remember several years ago, I, I think it was Oregon. It was one of the, I don't know, might, maybe it was California, but... It seemed to me several years ago there was a case where the uh, school system, uh, and these are the same people that don't allow your children to bring aspirin to school now. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. There was a um, a, a gender-confused child that they set up to have uh, sex reassignment surgery. And, and, and there are many cases I've heard of they've taken the, the girls to have an abortion. I've, I've heard of that right. in, in many cases. And... The parents are not informed. It's, has right. those, are those reports accurate? Well, what's happening is that kids, according to the medical community's guidelines, children are not supposed to have sex reassignment surgery below the age of 18. First of all, that's a ridiculous term because you yeah. can't change someone's sex. All you can right. do is, is mutilate their body. But what happens is if a child, particularly in middle school or high school, starts to say they're gender confused, they're the opposite sex, and they don't feel safe telling their parents because their parents have religious views that say male and female and all this, the school can say, to keep this child safe, we are going to point them towards a gender Mm. therapist who can then get them on hormones and all that kind of stuff. Planned Parenthood now has become a dispenser of gender hormones, of putting boys on estrogen and putting girls on testosterone, again, without parental knowledge. So Mm. these things are, it's a purposeful attempt to divide parents and children and to undermine these fundamental beliefs that are, that are, yes, they're, they're faith-based beliefs, but they're scientific beliefs. Everyone has you know, you can't change someone's sex. It's in it's in every cell of your body. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so so this is much bigger than, although we're people of faith and we see through that lens, even people who simply care about what's true and what's not mm-hmm. ought to be able, ought to be just waving the red flag and yanking their kids, get out now, get your kids out, because there are no do-overs on childhood. 
And that's, that's why we take that position in, in this book. At least educate yourselves, parents, about mm-hmm. what it's like. Yeah. Radically different from even two years ago. But, but don't mess with the one childhood that your child has. Mm-hmm. There are no do-overs. Yeah, that's that's so true, and that's a a great point you make in the book. That you know, you 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 get one childhood, and uh, you know, and how many how many adults now are scarred by things that happened in their childhood, mm-hmm. and we send our children off, and you know, and you you have people that are what I call professionally wicked. They've been, been mm-hmm. trained how to be <laughs> wicked. You know, right, the, these right. people would make Doctor Mingale proud. Right. Yeah. 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 Now, what about what about parents that they think their child is in a uh, like what you might call an elite uh, school Mm -hmm. system, which let's let's say in most cities you have the uh, the surrounding counties would be the suburbs. And in, in most cities, at least one of those counties or a portion of one of those counties would be the place where the uh highly educated, high-earning people mm-hmm, live and mm-hmm. with their, you know, with their, you know, four or five, six hundred thousand dollar homes in their well-manicured neighborhoods, okay, mm-hmm. and, and these uh, and these brand new palatial uh, schools that their children attend, certainly these people think, oh, that must be happening in the inner city, not not here. Yeah, well, newsflash, that's, it's just not true. It's just not true. It is happening everywhere. And that's one of the things that we document in our books. This is not something that's happening in areas where perhaps you've got parents who are dealing with a million other things and they're not paying attention and the school board or the, the principal foists it on the kids. It's not that. It's This is happening everywhere. And what parents need to realize is, you know, sometimes parents who are in these, these you know, expensive school districts that are producing kids with great academic scores, I think they think the schools are more responsive to them as parents mm-hmm. than they really are. But they're not. They're not. Because this, the transgender agenda, for example, has been challenged and fought in school districts across the country by good parents, and they lose. They're losing every time, partly because the other side is willing to go to court in every case. And the school districts are saying to themselves, do we really want to spend $2 million fighting because we've got some transgender kid who wants everyone to use the right pronouns and whatever? And and so they they throw up the white flag of surrender because they don't want to spend the money. Mm-hmm. And And parents are not listened to. This is being driven from the outside, as well as by people in the educational establishment. Yeah, yeah. But people who have an agenda. Mm-hmm. It's called lawfare. It's warfare by mm-hmm. using using exactly. our laws against us. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it, so, it, it, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, I think even in these good school districts, you can, you can say to yourself, hey, my kid's getting a great education. But I think the thing to look at is, well, what Scripture tells us, what does it profit a man to, to gain the whole world and lose his, his soul? Amen. And there is, yeah, there is a cost to education, whether it, sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's time because you're homeschooling or, or something mm-hmm. like that, or it can be a personal cost. And that's what I think parents need to look at. It's not a free education if your children 
if their basic sense of who they are, male or female, is being destabilized, mm-hmm. or if their faith in God is being erased, or their love for their country is, is being trampled on, that's not a free education. There's a huge cost. Yeah, to that's, that. that's free indoctrination. And like, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the first thing you said was, uh, hey, we are, we are creating the demise of the nation uh, by allowing, we, we pack our children up, we send them off to people that teach them. And as a matter of fact, a um, hundred years ago, educators were saying that the number one goal of education is to destroy what the parent has taught. So this, mm-hmm. this is not mm-hmm. new. It's just been put on steroids lately. And I think this, this gender angle is the latest uh, salvo that they have shot our way. I mean, am I overstating it? No, not at all. And in fact, that's that's one of the, the points we make in our book. The first three chapters are devoted to looking at the whole gender question and really just giving parents the facts and grandparents, because I think grandparents need to, to look at this and understand and encourage their kids, you know, or the parents who may be busy with work and whatever, to really know what the situation is. But for us, this is the game changer, because especially in the past two years, we have just seen this literally go on steroids. I think that's a great, mm-hmm. great description. And, yeah. and parents have to realize they are like the tiny little person facing the, the tsunami waves that's coming over them. They can't hold that wave back, not in their child's lifetime. That's which right. Is why, you know, you may want to fix the public schools in the long term, but it's not going to happen for your child now. And, right. Take them uh, out. I'm so blessed that my grandchildren uh, are homeschooled uh, by their parents. Yeah, my daughter mm-hmm. and her husband, they homeschool, and they homeschool five children, okay? Yeah, God And so you can do it out there, folks. You can do it. Well, especially with the Internet, and a lot of people are doing co-ops, and sometimes churches will allow people to use the, the facilities mm-hmm. so that you can have, you know, collective collective things. So there's it's much easier than it ever used to be. But I, I to solve this problem, I encourage pastors to think how, if I want the young people in my congregation to keep their faith, how am I going to make it possible for parents to educate their kids? Mm-hmm. And you can, you can do remedial English, but you can't do remedial, who am I? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and particularly after, you know, they've injected your child or performed surgery. I mean, right, this is, right. uh, and then in, in the, what ends up, I think, happening with these injections is that these children become infertile as adults. And then, you know, tell the audience uh, what the suicide rates are for these people. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're off the charts. They're, the statistics say that children who identify in the, these ways, you know, transgender, gender confused, it's something like 40% of them will attempt suicide. The, the suicide rate is like 19 uh, in adults who have this is like 19 times the rate of the general population. Yeah. They are beset by anxiety, depression, but, but you put your finger on something that is oftentimes not spoken about when they're encouraging these kids to pursue these other identities. And that is once you start opposite sex hormones, you can, you are going to render a child infertile, mm-hmm. especially if, They've done the puberty blockers earlier, which is kind of all the rage right now, that mm-hmm. if you have a young child who says, ah, I'm, I'm a girl, even though they're a boy, and instead of the parents saying, honey, 
I know who you are. You are a boy and God made you that way. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, mm-hmm. instead of common sense, parents are saying, oh, okay, you, you know, my, my boy says he's a girl. So let's block those boy hormones and give him a chance when he's older to decide if he's a boy or a girl. Well, when you block those hormones, he does not develop normally. And then if you switch him to, to estrogen, he's infertile the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're pushing these, these life-changing decisions on children when, mm-hmm. when we need to be the adults and, and you know, root ourselves in common sense and in science and in the, in the truth and the truths of our faith. And and just be that voice of clarity. So yeah. let me ask again, you a question a, on yeah. on that because before, way before this latest rage with all the gender stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I I've been studying this for many many years, for decades even, and it used to be the war on boys. Okay, mm-hmm. where you had these mm-hmm. feminazi teachers who hate men, and so they're taking it out on the boys to. You know, so because that's the male that they they have control over. So right. I, I want right. to know what the, with these beta blockers and these puberty blockers that they give. What's the percentage? Is it fifty fifty boys and girls, or are they doing this more to boys, or are they doing well, it more to girls? Yeah, no, good good question. Among the youngest children, it has typically been more often boys. Mm-hmm. In other words, boys who exhibit interest in, in, you know, more quiet activities or they like the color pink. So what? They can be a boy who likes the color pink. But traditionally, it's been more often a boy in those younger years. But here's the scary thing. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing now is something that some psychologists call rapid onset gender dysphoria. <sighs> oh. which is, it occurs <laughs> particularly in Middle school girls, their bodies are developing. They don't feel like the typical girly girl. They're really uncomfortable. And then their friends start identifying as transgender. So they say, ah, that's the solution. So what we're seeing is when you get up to those um, puberty years, middle school, high school, the percentages flip. Instead of it being mostly boys who are exhibiting this problem, it's girls who are rejecting their femininity. And then the rush is not just to the hormones, but they are performing mastectomies Ooh. on girls of 15 and 16. Wow. Now, do they do this with or without parental uh, knowledge and approval? It depends on the jurisdiction. It depends on the jurisdiction. So I believe it's Oregon. It's either Oregon or Washington. You can have that done at 15 without parental permission. Yeah, that's so, the one that I had heard about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, right, my goodness. Right. But yeah. what happens is parents are feel vulnerable because by this time, especially if a parent has been kept in the dark and then they've got this this 15-year-old girl who says, I'm a boy, and then the script sort that these kids learn is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I, I'm suicidal. I'm going to commit suicide if you don't let me do this. Oh, and instead of the parents, you know, seeking mental health um, help, for, for their children to accept who they are, mm-hmm. there's this push to go down the lane of hormones and then early surgery, wow. you know, the mastectomies for these girls. And the sad thing is it does not solve the problem. We're oh, seeing, of course not. This is natural, no. you know, um, 
you know, menstruation is natural. It's going to happen at some point. And mm-hmm. I think girls have always been uncomfortable when this new change begins to occur. Right. Especially if you're a girl who, you know, maybe your your frame is a little bigger and you're you're not the typical cheerleader. So what? You you can have a beautiful sense of who you are and and you just Mm. go through these stages, but it's up to adults to help children learn to embrace who they are, not escape it to to look for something different. Yeah. Or I guess if you're the the oldest child or the oldest girl and you you have not seen your big sister go through it, then mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. you know there's you know and you and you know maybe your your mother hasn't prepared you or no female has prepared you you know this is going to happen i mean this is uh you know maybe an outgrowth of this society that we have where families are no longer together everyone's on their own device everyone has their own tv in their own in their room you know when i was a kid we had one tv and the families sat together and we watched the same thing we talked we had dinner we had conversation at right. dinner and so with this breakdown, that you know, something so natural there, I guess it would seem strange. Mm-hmm. Right. And what, because every child has a phone these days, what we're finding is these kids who are vulnerable, who feel like they don't fit in, find these communities online. And they start talking to people, exactly, mm. who convince them that this is really the root to their happiness. Wow. And yet we're seeing a phenomenon of young women in their late teens and early twenties who have quote identified as, as transgender. And then by the time they're in their early twenties, they're saying, what did I do? Mm-hmm. And they're, they're de-transitioning. Mm-hmm. But, and now but they're infertile. Then, they're infertile. They have whiskers on their face sometimes Ooh. that aren't going to go away. They have their voices deepened. In other words, there are permanent repercussions to this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and you said something right when you opened the show. You, you said how you were a, a proponent of, of school choice. Mm-hmm. And this is where, for those parents who are thinking, oh, my gosh, this is, I, I didn't realize this, but what can I do? I'd say two things. Take your child out. Get out now and trust the Lord to show you to help you find the help you need mm-hmm. to educate your child. But in the long run, we have got to pressure these legislators to get the strings off the vouchers, to make it so the money follows the child, that mm-hmm. parents have control. Yeah, that's our because, goal in the state of Virginia, to do it at the constitutional level with a constitutional amendment so that mm-hmm. all education dollars follow the child, period. Exactly. And yeah, that's, exactly. The, that's the only way. And in Virginia, it has to be done constitutionally because of the history of massive resistance in Virginia. The Constitution was mm-hmm. changed to put the power with the school boards in each, mm-hmm. in each separate locality. So the Constitution mm-hmm. has to be changed again. So on a state-by-state uh, basis, each state has to figure out the best way to legislatively to have education dollars follow the child so that the parent can just take them out. And, um, and I guess if that doesn't happen, you have to bite the bullet and pay yourself. And, and if, you know, do you love your child enough to do that? Right. Right. And, you know, as I said, you don't get a do over on childhood and you can get a remedial English class or English or math class. If, 
if you feel like your homeschooling or your your small private school isn't doing the job you want, you don't get a do-over on the basics of who am I and who is God and how do I make Mm -hmm. sense of this world. And you said something very powerful that pastors need to get involved. I mean, one Mm -hmm. of the things that boils my blood is these Reverend Chickenfoot types that, I mean, if you were not involved in the world yourself, you go to church and you would not even realize that there's a culture war going on because the the preacher doesn't talk about it, you know, and tell Mm -hmm. the audience Mm -hmm. what they are uh, voting on in California in reference to preachers that, that if you have a gender confused child in the state of California, uh, what the, the law, they're trying to make this the law that the, the preacher or a Christian minister cannot even counsel that child. Mm-hmm. Right. And the good news is I just saw it, it yesterday. The sponsor of that legislation has pulled that after talking with pastors and religious people. Now, this is a temporary pause because mm-hmm. he has said he will reintroduce it. But at least they, they were able to push this back because this was a huge threat. I mean, yeah. you're, you're right. This, this would have prevented pastors, prevented educators, prevented anyone who's trying to bring the truth to someone. In other words, the state was trying to legislate. Yeah. This yeah. is what's true. And you, the rest of you have to put a muzzle on. We're yeah. Not even we're we're at war with these people. And, and folks, you got to get the book. The book is Get Out Now, Mary Rice Hassan. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes. Oh, okay. Right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for the work you do. All right. And you too. God bless. God bless. Oh, all right. Bye-bye. Well, all right, folks, we're going to take our top-of-the-hour news break. We will be right back. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me. Welcome back to the program, America. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on America's Big Dog radio program, the really real deal. And, uh, hey, a little bit of Aretha there. And, uh, of course, they laid uh, dear Aretha to rest. And, uh, and of course, you know, the Democrats politicize it again. <laughs> and, uh you know, we opened up our program, and uh, and by the way, you know, welcome and and thank you for uh, visiting with us. Uh, and I want to give a particular shout out to uh, our visitors who are viewing us uh, via Facebook. And uh, you know, on on Facebook, we have uh, viewers uh, literally from all over the country. And um, you know, we uh, we'd love to chat with some of you uh, now. At the bottom of our second hour. We are going to have uh, an interview that I was uh, blessed to do a couple of days ago with Pastor John Hagee. And uh, Pastor Hagee has written another book, his 40th book. Wow. Okay. And uh, so uh, please, please stay tuned for Pastor John Hagee. And um, I, I thought he was the 28th Hagee to preach the gospel, which, hey, that's um, impressive if he were the 28th Hagee. I got it wrong. He is the 48th Hagee to preach the gospel. That's just in the United States of America. His family came over here from Moravia uh, and landed in Pennsylvania to escape religious persecution in 1742. And he is the 48th member of his family 
to preach the gospel. His son, Matthew, is the 49th Hagee to preach the gospel. And so, you know, wow, very impressive. So please, uh, if you are a big fan of uh, Pastor John Hagee, uh, or look, if you don't even know who Pastor John Hagee is, okay, <laughs> and uh, trust me, he's big, okay? And he's not just a big guy. <laughs> he's, he's, he's big, okay? Um, anyway, it was it was such a delight. Uh, second time I've had the honor and privilege of interviewing him. So we're going to play that uh, at the bottom of the hour. But for right now, I want to play uh, two minutes of Reverend Jasper Williams, who he gave a, an old-fashioned Christian Baptist eulogy that got a whole lot of Negroes Upset, And I am so glad. I, for one, the man was singing off the same hymn book, things I've been saying for years, that all these fake uh, Black Lives Matter people, uh, they to them, Black Lives do not matter, okay? They do not matter. This is all, this is all a political ploy to pull at your heartstrings. And, and it's just like so many things that the Democrats do. I mean, there's no truth in these people. None whatsoever, you know, and so uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, it's about two minutes long. So this is uh, Reverend Jasper Williams uh, giving the eulogy to Aretha Franklin yesterday. Uh, That black America, there is truly a need in our race. As I look back in retrospect, allow my mind to take a stroll back down memory's lane. There was a time when we, as a race, had a thriving economy. Yes, we were rewarded with integration. We got what we fought for. We got what we marched for. But with the birth of integration, there also came the loss of not only the black community's economy, but there also came the loss of the black man's soul. Why is your soul, black man? As I look in your house, there are no fathers in the home no more. Where is your soul? 70% of our households are led by our precious, proud, fine, black women but as proud beautiful and fine as our black women are one thing a black woman cannot do a black woman cannot raise a black boy to be a man if you choose to ask me today uh, do black lives matter let me answer like this. No, black lives do not matter. Black lives will not matter. Black lives ought not matter. Black lives should not matter. Black lives must not matter until black people stop respecting black lives and stop killing ourselves. Black lives can never matter. Now, that's powerful, folks. And the man, when he spoke for 50 minutes, okay, and that's Reverend Jasper Williams uh, in his eulogy of um, the late Aretha 
Franklin. And he, the man went on to say that these Black Lives Matter activists and politicians, these, now he didn't use the word uh, poverty pimp uh, Negro politicians, nor did he use the word pulpit pimp Negro preacher, okay? Those are my words. Now, I've been saying it for years, and I'm going to continue to say it, okay? Because that is what they are. You know, it's not about helping, you know, these, these, some of these preachers, they're so busy, they, they got their eye on your daughter, so they ignore your son. So the, even the preacher's not trying to help your boy to become a man, you know? And so what, what needs to happen is there needs to be a recommitment to marriage, okay? It used to be a thing, um, and I don't think it was just in the black community. It's just, it was a thing of the times when they said that uh, aspirin could prevent unwanted pregnancy. And so when when a, a young lady went out on a date, it was not uncommon for her mother to ask her, where are your aspirin? You know, <laughs> so it's like if you if a if a female is in the presence of a male. And it, she sit in a chair and hold that aspirin between her knees until he leaves. OK, you know, another another thing they used to say, no finance, no romance, you know. A woman was not going to uh, give a, a broke man, was not going to get her even a look, okay? A man who's not accomplishing anything. He's not going anywhere in life. You know, there's one thing to offer, and that's some physical intimacy. I mean, give me a break. You know, there's just, there's such a breakdown. And so, you know, these 70% fatherless homes in black America, they didn't just pop up overnight like a mushroom. Okay, there had to have been some breakdown in moral teaching it, that would lead to this. Okay, and I remember, um, well, I don't remember it personally. I, I'm not old enough to remember it personally, but I've seen the uh, speech uh, on uh, YouTube, and you can pull it up too, uh, the late Senator uh, Patrick Daniel Moynihan uh, speaking about the um, the the then it was nowhere near seventy percent then the uh, black rate of uh, children being born out of wedlock and he predicted he said if we don't do something to stem the tide uh, this is going to be uh, uh, an epidemic for all races all over the country and at the time I think it was something like twenty eight percent. All right, it's 70% now among blacks. But now his prophecy has come true because among whites, okay, the rates of children being born out of wedlock is uh, at or above where it was for blacks. This was back in the 60s, okay, when Senator Moynihan uh, did a, uh, he did a uh, study of this, okay? And so... This was uh, good work that he did, but his call was unheeded because at the same time that this was occurring, you had this big push uh, from mainly the Democrats and mainly the, this, this baby boom generation that is now entrenched in power, okay? These were the people that they were flipping cars over in the streets as teenagers and, and they were spitting on soldiers coming home you know, a soldier like John McCain, these people, they would spit on him, okay? I have a, a friend and mentor who, when he came home from Vietnam, he's in his 80s, just like, you know, the late Senator McCain was. They, they're right at the same age. And when he told me when he came home from Vietnam, he was spat on, okay? 
And so now, and so these same baby boomers now, you know, they, they, they just, they politicize everything. Aretha's funeral, McCain's funeral. Okay. And, the, and this, this preacher, he speaks the truth and the hatred that the man is getting, you go, you go, uh, Google, uh, his name is Reverend Jasper Williams. Just Google him and look at some of what people are saying. That number one, they're saying, oh, you got your facts wrong. They call the man all kinds of names. And I'm sure he's fine with it because as a preacher who he's not Reverend Chickenfoot, okay? He's not a, uh, a, a, pool, a, a Negro pulpit preacher. He's a real preacher. He's a real man. The man obviously cares enough to speak the truth, even though the truth is uncomfortable. So that makes him a hero in my book. We need more preachers like that. Don't, don't say what's popular. Say what's true. The man spoke the truth. And so in all these snowflakes out here that can't handle the truth, oh, you got your facts wrong. All they want to do is just say, well, all the problems in the black community, they're white folks' fault. That's all they want because they want to guilt trip white people into giving them free stuff. That's what it's all about. It's not about helping young black boys grow up to be black men. Okay. It's not about helping couples learn, you know, go and get pre premarital or actually pre sex counseling. Okay. Cause once you have sex, you don't realize that that's your wife. Okay. It's like the Bible says he went and he took a wife. What do you think that means? That's your wife. You just don't know it, don't realize it, won't honor it, don't want it. You want physical intimacy without responsibility. You're like a child. You know, you want to drive the car without the car note. You know, you want crops without rain or you want rain without thunder. I mean, give me a break, people. Give me a break. This man speaks the truth and he's getting all kinds of... Hatred, just like Jesus predicted. You know, if you speak the truth, if you're one of my followers, they're going to hate you. Why? Because they hated me. And they, Jesus is truth. And these people, they hate truth. And I don't care if they are a, a pulpit pimp preacher. These people, they hate Jesus. These are not preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are people in the religion business, okay? Just like entertainers are in the entertainment business, Politicians are in the politics business. You know, not all politicians, of course, obviously we know this, but, you know, not all politicians are statesmen that have the interests of the people at heart. Some are, most are not. Not all school teachers care about your children. Some school teachers are feminazis, communists, okay? I mean, let's be real here. We're dealing with humanity, and we cannot ascribe group virtue any more than we can ascribe group guilt. Not all teachers are guilty. Not all teachers are righteous. Not all politicians are guilty. Not all politicians are righteous. Not all preachers are guilty. Not all preachers are righteous. Not all service members who served under the flag in, mili in the military are evil, not all of them are righteous. There's no group guilt. There's no group virtue. All must be judged individually. And in particular, when people do not seek out the grace of God through Jesus Christ, 
And what would be the evidence of that? The evidence of that would be how they treat their fellow man. If they, if you love God with all your heart, as Jesus himself said, and love your fellow man as you love yourself. Again, the words of Jesus Christ, not the words of Brother Craig. And so this is, this is the mark. This is, this is how you judge. And so in these people, I mean, Al Sharpton stood up there at Aretha Franklin's funeral, and he did the same thing he did at Coretta Scott's funeral. Coretta Scott King. Bad mouth the, pre- the sitting president. I mean, that, that's, it's an opportunity to speak about the life of the dearly departed. It's not an opportunity for you to score political points. Just a week ago, Al Sharpton uh, misspelled respect. Aretha Franklin's signature song. The man cannot spell respect. And they invite him to, to be one of the speakers to, to eulogize her. And he stands up there and he said, well, don't, you know, and he, again, he goes right to her song, Respect. Well, Donald Trump doesn't know what respect means. Well, Al Sharpton doesn't know how, doesn't know how respect is spelled. And, and I would doubt seriously if he truly knows what it means. I mean, these are the times in which we live, people, and this is just, you know, it would be so nice if <laughs> when, I, when I stand behind this microphone, all I had to do was say something, find something nice to say. <laughs> matter of fact, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Maybe, maybe some of you out there can help me. Call or help the hatchet man out, okay, uh, 804 uh, four five four one three six six eight zero four four five four one three six six. Help, help the hatchet man out. Okay, <laughs> uh, call. Let's find. Let's find something nice to say. It's a Saturday morning. It's eleven twenty two. I've got uh, eight minutes left in this uh, thirty minute segment, uh, and then we have one final uh, thirty minute segment uh, in the program. I would love to hear from a, a Facebook viewer in particular, and I know I have a. Uh, a lot of viewers in the Phoenix, Arizona area. I would love to hear from someone out there. Uh, I, I would love your comments on uh, John McCain. Uh, was you know were my comments spot on? I would love to hear your comments on Aretha Franklin and what this uh, preacher had to say. Uh, I, I, and uh, we have Edison on the phone. And so, uh, and again, we have other lines. We could take another call or two. Eight zero four. 454-1366-804-454-1366. Edison, what's on your mind, my brother? i tell you, man, I was praying this morning, and uh, I heard you, and God sent me a message. Let me tell you something. I don't tell everybody, but I'm going to lay it out there on you. I'm a man. I'm a man that feels God. I date a woman who's black. I love her, and I adore her. I, I pray. I know God gave her to me. She got three children. She got a husband that he never gives them children nothing for Christmas. He never gives them nothing for their birthday. He never does anything. And I talk to her. I beg and I plead. And she believes that's the way life is. I just text her when I heard, when I heard you on the radio. I said, I, I, I'll say, Iris, you, you need to cut it on 820 a.m. a.m. this morning. The man is talking about you. She thinks that's the way life should be. Little wow. children shouldn't wake up with no gifts underneath their tree. No little children should be without shoes in the fall. No child should be worried about how they're going to compete. 
let me tell you, but God is able. God does. I, you know, God used me to help out. I don't mind, but I like she to help needs people. Jesus in her life, my brother. That's and, what uh, I'm talking about. Thank yeah, yeah. And, and, Thank you for being there. I'm not gonna get on no big. You know how I can get sometimes, but I, <laughs> but the Lord, the Lord is good. I thank you, uh, thank you, thank you so much. Oh, it's, you're a wonderful it's, guy. Well, you, you, it's I the just, Holy Spirit, I I, you know. I do want to hook up with you later to get. I want to figure out who this minister was that was uh, talking about these these men that, that don't take care of their children. And it is, you know, God forbid, but it seems to be Jasper you know, like, Williams. It, it, are it, you it, on it Facebook? Seems to be more in the black community. Are Sorry. you on Facebook? Uh, I tell you what, I took a vow for for sixty days not to go online for anything. I got so addicted to it. My accountability <laughs> partner said, "You need to make a commitment." But look, I I, I will uh, I will get off here and let you go. But thank you for bringing this grave grave. And it's a human issue. issue. You know, it's not black and white. You, no, no, you know. no. There's some white men out this white Yeah, men, it's, let me it, tell you, they're just as sorry. It's cultural. <laughs> yeah. it's, I was wondering if he was going to add them into the, into the equation. Because well, they, it's a cultural. Like, well, I did I did add it in when I said I'm that, sorry, um, I dialed in late. that, I dialed in that late. Patrick <laughs> Moynihan uh, gave the yes. warning back when the uh, the uh, rate of out-of-wedlock births in the black community, this was in, I think, 1965 when he issued that yes, report. Sir. It was, uh, yes, I th- it was twenty something. I think it was twenty eight percent. And now, yes, sir. the uh, the white illegitimacy rate it's um, it's somewhere in that range now. Um, and you know, and back then it wasn't as high. But now, a hundred years ago, it yes, was more common for a black child to be born in wedlock than it was for a white child to be born in wedlock this it was only true. yeah this is true this was this uh, it was this, this was a, it was 88% marriage rate among uh black americans it was an 87% marriage w- rate among white americans this is over 100 years ago okay and mm-hmm. so yep. what is what happened since then was like Esau in the Bible, you know, I always try to find something in the Bible to explain these things. And usually, usually mm-hmm. you can find it. But just like yes, Esau, uh, in exchange for his uh, physical immediate sustenance, he wanted a bowl of beans. OK. Yes, sir. And so he mm-hmm. sold his birthright to his brother. And, you know, and he said, well, what do I need with the birthright if I'm going to die from starvation? Now, the Joker just, just you know, the Joker hadn't eaten in probably hours or maybe a day. And so he's yep. acting like he's going to starve to death. He was not going to starve to death, but he was weak. OK. And in his weakness, he mm-hmm. sold something eternal that was a gift from God, which was his holy, eternal birthright. And so and yes, I've sir. been asking the question for years, Edison. What is your bowl of beans? Okay. Because many people, they have a bowl of beans. What is it that you're willing to sell your soul for in exchange for the here and the now? And one of the things that uh, unfortunately black Americans did was accepted these, this welfare money from the federal government uh, in and and kicked the males out of the home. You know, it's enough pressure on, uh, poor people to to stay together without that added pressure, but it's like you know this 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 welfare check. Uh, it's not going to cuss at you. It's not going to abuse you. It's not going to walk out on you. It's every month you go down to the mailbox and it, it is reliably well, she, reliably yes, the welfare check is there. And so they well, made yes, they made works. an exchange, she, she, and that drove that woman. 
That woman works. She works every day. She works at a company. I won't well, I'm not speaking. Works, yeah, don't don't. She's just, she she she's not. Look, she she ain't. Back. She is doing so much without man. Well, let's let's she's not. A good mom. Edison, she, she she ain't asked nobody for nothing. She's Edison, a hard work but I see her with good works, and I see her doing without shoes. I see my mama did too. My mama wore them same kind of shoes. They were flat. They were one style, and they was one color. They were black, and they and I asked her. I said, "You were like shoes?" She said, "No, because I buy them because they're the, the ones I can afford." And that was the answer to what my mama did. My mama was a grand lady. You're a good you're a good man, sir, and I appreciate your show. God I, bless you, sir. Uh, thank you, and God bless you too, Edison. <laughs> All right. Well, all right, folks, uh, 804-454-1366 is the number, 804-454-1366. And, yeah, and so, and folks, the, the point here is that a lot of folks have a poverty of the spirit. And, the, and the, you know, I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said the best thing you could do for people in poverty is to make their poverty uncomfortable. And so when you have people that want to make the poverty of the poor comfortable, you have to ask yourself this question, okay? Are they doing that to benefit the poor or to benefit themselves? Because never, ever, ever forget, folks, when charity comes through the government, people get paid to dispense charity. When charity comes out of your personal pocket, you're not getting paid. And so these people, don't, they don't give charity out of their personal pocket. They give charity out of the government coffers and 60% of the charity stays with the people that manage poverty. 40% of the charity goes to the poor. Think over that math. We'll be right back on the other side of the break, folks. To me and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Because there ain't no doubt. Welcome back to the program, America. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on America's Big Dog Radio program, The Really Real Deal. And, uh, yeah, I hope that doesn't make me crazy. (laughs) Well, folks, you just heard our giving ad. And, uh, hey, uh, as that old saying goes, freedom really and truly is not free. Uh, There is a tremendous cost uh, for me to stand behind this microphone and deliver truth. And I hope you've enjoyed today's program. Uh, we are in our final 30 minutes of today's program. And, um, you know, I, um, as always, I pray that the Heavenly Father would give me uh, the words to say, you know, I'm not like uh, Obama who has uh, 100 speechwriters. Well, maybe a dozen. And, uh, and, and speaks from a teleprompter. I, I stand here and I speak from the heart. And uh, with, a you know, a few notes here, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, for the folks out on um, Facebook that are watching, uh, you see how big this piece of paper is. That's the extent of my notes today. This is not even a full sheet of paper. 
And um, so a, a lot goes into this, and um, there's there's uh, there's a cost, uh, of course, the studio, um, the wonderful Tracy Lynn here. She she likes to be paid, and um, you know, um, wow, something's going on with our Facebook video. Okay, uh, did you hit a button by accident over there, Tracy? Uh, okay, it says uh, the live video has ended. Okay, so uh, maybe you can pull that back up. But um, yeah, we 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 had some uh, we had some folks uh, viewing on the, on the hatchet cam uh, via Facebook Live. But uh, okay, we got it back up. Okay, all right, good, good. Well, anyway, uh, we we invite you to go to our website, thereallyrealdeal.com. The really real deal. Dot com. We do have a donate uh, button. We, as a matter of fact, we have one on every page. Big red donate button. Uh, we would love to have uh, your support. Uh, as a matter of fact, we need all types and all levels of supporters at the First Amendment Inc., uh, which is the organization I founded, the First Amendment Inc. And uh, we need anchor donors. You know, every organization needs anchor donors. Uh, you know, we need uh, monthly donors, annual donors, one-time donors, repeat donors, um, you know, at every level. And uh, so if you uh, appreciate the fact that um, I stand here and I give you truth, whether it's uh, popular or unpopular, uh, whether it's uh, Republican, Democrat, whatever, uh, you know, we, we try to give truth. And um, the phone lines are open uh, for critique from anyone. We do not screen our calls. And so if you think that's something that's worthwhile, then, um, you know, perhaps uh, you would consider going to our website, thereallyrealdeal.com, or send an old-fashioned check in the mail to The First Amendment, Inc., 8659 Staples Mill Road, 8659 Staples Mill Road, Richmond, Virginia, 23228. Now, what we're going to do now, uh, I was blessed to have another interview with Pastor John Hagee. We're going to play that interview now. And at the end of the interview, I will give out again the uh, mailing address, how you can uh, send a donation or if you just want to, you know, drop a line to the hatchet man. Okay. Um, so if you, if you can't remember that, grab a pen and paper uh, this interview is 17 minutes long with Pastor John Hagee. I'll be right back. Do we have Pastor Hagee on the line? Hi, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Brother Craig. How are you? I am better than I deserve, sir, but uh, I'll take that every day. And uh, my wife and I love watching you, and uh, and we we like watching Matthew also. You've trained him very, very well. He's doing he's doing a great job. Uh, he re, he really truly is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what? He's the twenty ninth Hagee to preach the gospel. Well, I don't I don't know. He's the twenty ninth. That he he represents the. Uh, uh, I would be the forty eighth. He'd be the forty ninth. Wow. Okay, yeah. I got it wrong. I interviewed you a couple of years ago. <laughs> And I, for some reason, I was I was blown away when I thought it was twenty eight and twenty nine. <laughs> and so it's, no, it's not, I'm there. I'm blown away again. <laughs> it's not gener. It's, it's not generations. Uh-huh. It's it's that many Hagee preachers since the Hagee family landed in Pennsylvania in uh, seventeen forty two. Wow. And so, 
so we've, um, you know, early on uh, when our family got here, uh, they came for religious liberty to get here, and uh, they were they were Moravians, and the Moravians were hardcore Bible preachers, and uh, just from generation down, uh, we principally were Methodist, and then out of Methodism came Baptist and uh, some Pentecostal preachers, but uh, we've... Um, We've always stayed with the Word of God. Thank, wow. thank God for that. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, that's 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 powerful. And um, you know, I'm, I know one thing. Uh, there are many, many people here in America that are glad that uh, a ship from Moravia came to Pennsylvania in 1742. Folks, uh, I'm sitting here with uh, the, the the great and famed Pastor John Hagee, and he's he's uh, founder and pastor of Cornerstone. Church now is it Cornerstone Baptist Church? No, it's just Cornerstone Church. We are a non-denominational evangelical church. Oh, okay. Uh, we have Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostals, Roman Catholics. Anyone who likes the Word of God, oh, okay. uh, is welcome here. Oh, well, that's great. I was born, you know, we used to have a thing, born a Baptist. <laughs> you know that old yeah. saying, uh, and I'm going to die yeah. a Baptist. But now I attend a uh, a non-denominational church now. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I really, um, I really understand that, and I appreciate that, and, you know, and all you do. Now, the last time, Pastor Hagee, we were blessed to have your presence here to share with our audience here at The Really Real Deal. Uh, you had just written Four Blood Moons, and, um, you know, and you, you're you quite prolific here. Uh, the Three Heavens, uh, Jerusalem Countdown, Born to be Blessed. Uh, then you had the Four Blood Moons. And now here, your latest book, Earth's Last Empire. Yes, this is book number 40. Book number 40? Yes. Wow, I'm blown away again. I have a short list <laughs> of your books here, and, and you have 40 books. Uh, yeah, quite prolific. Yeah, so this uh, so now now this book here, okay, uh the final game of thrones, okay? And yeah. You, yeah, you start out with how all roads lead to Jerusalem. And yeah. um, you know, and, and and I saw something interesting in here, your own personal testimony how you had an a, a vision in your mind about Jerusalem. And so when you first went there, it's like you were a pilgrim or maybe a fan or just a traveler. And uh, But after being there, you, you, there was a sense of transformation that you felt, and you, you, you went there one way and you left there another way. Would you share that, please? Yes, well, <clears throat> I went to Israel for the very first time in 1978, and I went as a tourist. And I came home a Zionist. A Zionist is someone who believes that the Jewish people have the absolute right to the Holy Land that God has described the meets and boundaries in the Bible. And while I was praying at the Western Wall, I looked over my shoulder and there was a Jewish man praying. He had on his prayer shawl, which at that point in my life, I didn't know what that was. Uh, and he had on a kippah, and he was, uh, tears were coming down his face as he was reading the Bible. 
and I was deeply moved by the depth of his conviction. And uh, he was sitting in the rocking chair because he was quite elderly, and you could tell that that was something that he did every day. And I turned back to face the wall, and I just felt the Lord say to me, that man is your spiritual brother. You don't know a thing about him, and he's terrified of you. Now, at that point in my life, I had three earned university degrees, and I'd been to seminary, so I was really not uninformed. And uh, so when I left, uh, as, I, as I sat there and uh, finished praying, uh, I felt the Lord say to me, you know, I want you to use whatever influence you have to bring to the Jewish people what they have never experienced from Christians for 2,000 years, and that's the unconditional love of God. And it was kind of an overwhelming thought because I assure you it was not something that was concocted out of my mind. Mm. And I went to my my wife uh, was um, praying with the ladies down the way because they do not allow men and women to pray together. Mm -hmm. And I went to her and told her what the situation was. And uh, uh, we went to the Harp of David and I bought several hundred dollars worth of books. Uh, to study up on the history of the Jewish people because I sure you in seminary, we didn't go through the Crusades, the Inquisition, or the seeds of the Holocaust that were made possible by the uh, hateful theology of John Chrysostom and so forth. So when I got done, I... uh, I uh, told her, I said, uh, I'm ready. I'm just waiting for the Lord to open the door of how to uh, honor the Jewish people for their contributions to America and to the spiritual things that they've done for Christianity. Yeah. And, um, and so are, they... Do we, do, we still, they, do, we, do we still have things like that today? You write about super secessionism, and which seems to me like a, a, an, a form, I don't know if it's an outgrowth or a precursor to replacement theology, but are we still, do, do, do people realize that they have these seeds in their theology? They don't until you just flat out tell them. Uh, they've heard it so long and it's so ingrained into their mind until you say, tell them that what you are saying is truly a supersessionist message. It is a replacement theology message and it is not biblical. And uh, then you give them the biblical reasonings and uh, uh, they are, they're stunned. Mm-hmm. And you said that this man beside whom you prayed, you felt love for him, but he felt fear from you. Did you sense that, or was that just your feeling of... No, I, I just I just know that the, by my uh, interaction with the Jewish community that when you uh, when you are the pastor of a church of twenty two thousand people uh, and your television message goes all, all over the world, uh, you get in a group of, of Jewish people who don't know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very reserved about uh, talking to you and so forth of that nature because they they're very concerned that you're not sensitive to things they believe. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, and it seems to me, Pastor Hagee, that 
many Christians, well, the Christians that I know have uh, more love for Israel than some Jewish people that are um, non-religious, you know, particularly when you deal with the, uh, political issues that people champion. Uh, so I, in, in a modern sense, it, it, this doesn't make sense to me. Well, here, let me help you understand that. The, the whole essence of evaluating how you feel about Israel is whether you do or do not believe the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more that our society drifts from the Bible, the more secular we become. And the more secular we become, the more anti-Semitic we become. Because the Bible starts in the book of Genesis defending the Jewish people's right, the right to the land, and the spiritual contributions that they are going to make to the world. Uh, But when a person stops reading the Bible, uh, they get away from the precepts of God and become immersed in the secular humanism of man. Mm. And that's a very corrupt theology. Right. And is one of the values that Israel has to not just America, but to the world, the fact that we we have written in the word how, uh, you know, Israel seems to be kind of a type where they have gone through this, that type of uh, rejection of, of of God, and you've seen the consequences, and they're writ- written right there. And so we can learn from that past example. The, the thing that Paul is saying in the book of Romans, chapter 15, he said, if we, the Gentiles, have benefited from their spiritual things, we as Gentiles should remember them uh, to care for them in their immaterial things. Mm-hmm. The spiritual things the Jewish people have given to Christianity would be, one, the Word of God. All of it was written by Jewish people. And the next thing is that they've given to us the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, they have given to us the uh, uh, all of the Old Testament prophets, every prophet in the Bible was Jewish. They've given to us the first family of Christianity, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. They gave to us the 12 disciples. They gave to us the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. And they gave to us John the Revelator. So from Genesis to Revelation, we have uh, the gift of the Jewish people who suffered a great deal by uh, presenting and writing the Word of God. Uh, So if you just removed Jesus out of the equation, you wouldn't have a Christianity. That's why the Christians need to understand the fact that Judaism does not need Christianity to explain its existence. But we as Christians cannot explain our existence without Judaism. Because Jesus was Jewish, and he practiced the law of Moses, and then he came preaching the gospel. But he, and it's very clear in Matthew 25, makes the statement, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these my brethren, Mm -hmm. he's talking about the Jewish people, you've done it unto me. So they are still the apple of God's eye. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. And, um, you know, and it seems like God is still working miracles through uh, Israel uh, again. Here we're in the seventieth year of the rebirth, and uh, and and I think Pastor Hagee, you would agree that there's no way in human terms to explain 
what has happened for a nation to have been attacked so many times, destroyed so many times, dispersed so far. And, uh, you know, from the Balfour Declaration in 1917 to, you know, 50 years of Jubilee later, uh, 1967 and on up to today. Um, you know, how do you explain that? Well, it's, it is exactly this, that uh, Israel is God's prophetic top, uh, prophetic clock. And uh, God does everything by a set time. King David says in the Psalms, there is a set time that God has chosen to honor Israel. The clock stops ticking whenever Israel leaves the land, and it starts ticking when Israel comes into the land. Whenever the Romans in 70 AD took the Jewish people and scattered them across the Mediterranean basin, the clock stopped. Whenever the Balfour Commission happened, Balfour Declaration happened, the clock started ticking. That would be 1917. Inasmuch as God operates in modules of 50 years in the Jubilee, the 49th year begins, but on the 50th year, the the year of Jubilee ends. So uh, a Jubilee, according to the teaching of the Old Testament, is 50 years. Mm -hmm. And 1917 and 50 is uh, 1967. That's when Jerusalem was reunited to the state of Israel, and Israel in the Six-Day War doubled its land size. You add 50 to 1967, and you have 2017. In that year, the President of the United States declared that Jerusalem was the capital of Israel, and he moved the embassy move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and I was privileged to do the dedicatorial prayer for that, uh, for that uh, embassy. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's powerful, sir. And, uh, and folks out there, if you're just joining us, we have Pastor John Hagee, pastor of Cornerstone Church, uh, with us, and we're discussing his latest book, latest of 40 books now, folks, uh, his, his, his latest book, uh, we're discussing Earth's Last Empire. Well, Pastor Hagee, it's, it's really been great. I find all this fascinating, but would you like to just sum up a little bit of uh, uh, why sh- folks should go out and purchase this book? This book, The Final Game of Thrones, Earth's Final Empire, uh, fundamentally is a capsulization of everything that's going to happen in the world prophetically from now until the end of time. It takes it. It takes it. Uh, Bible prophecy, literally, from the gates of Genesis until the last moment of the dispensation of grace, and it's written in such a way that you don't have to be a Bible scholar to get it. It's very, very plain, uh, fully, fully uh, illustrated, and this book is something that every person who has any interest in prophecy want to get this book because this is the best prophetic book I have ever written and in as much as I'm 78 years of age it's probably going to be the last one so you should run out and get this book it's very very good yeah and buy two copies folks one for yourself and one for your uh, for your children okay as, as you send them off to college yeah God bless you Pastor Hagen thank you so much sir thank you Brother Craig all right all right that's a wrap you be blessed sir thank you again we really appreciate it Thank you.
Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, all right, folks. Uh, I'm back live now. That was a fantastic interview uh, with uh, Pastor John Hagee. Uh, he, we we just love him. And, uh, wow, 40 books, quite prolific. And, um, you know, he's doing great things, and I highly encourage you to purchase that book. And um, what would we have uh, about Three minutes left in today's program, so uh, not enough time to get a caller in. But uh, I would like to share again that, uh, you know, freedom is not free uh, for me to stand behind this microphone. Um, There is a cost, and uh, we would love to have your help and assistance. And, um, you know, the Lord does provide. And uh, but if you could if you could uh, stand uh, side beside us. Uh, as a watchman on the wall, we'd greatly appreciate it. Our website is thereallyrealdeal.com, thereallyrealdeal.com, and, or send an old-fashioned check in the mail to The First Amendment, Inc., The First Amendment, Inc., our address, 8659 Staples Mill Road, 8659 Staples Mill Road, Richmond, Virginia, and the zip code is two three two two eight two three two two eight, and uh, we really appreciate it. And um, you know, and I think we've had an excellent program. Uh, we started out. If you missed the early portion uh, with uh, my comments about um, the late Senator McCain, uh, we talked about how both his funeral and uh, Aretha Franklin's funeral have basically they've been hijacked by politics. Um, it's and it's it's just so unfortunate, um, you know, and and how McCain himself uh, decided that um, the sitting president and his vice presidential candidate uh, Sarah Palin uh, were not welcome at his funeral. Uh, so unfortunate, so unfortunate. And um, Sarah Palin is such a fine individual. We're hoping to uh, schedule an interview with uh, Sarah Palin uh, sometime soon. And, um, you know, uh, commentators on CNN were musing that, wow, wouldn't it have been great if he had been able to pick uh, Joe Lieberman like he wanted to rather than Palin? <laughs> and, uh, and they say, well, it would be the first time in American history that there was a bipartisan uh, ticket for president. And they, they, these people don't know their history. Abraham Lincoln picked uh, Democrat uh, Andrew Johnson which perhaps led to the assassination of Lincoln because had he had a Republican, uh, maybe they would not have killed him. And so, because then you would just have another Republican as president. But being that they assassinated uh, Lincoln, the presidency switched uh, from uh, anti-slavery Lincoln to, to pro-slavery um, Johnson. Uh, so, so much for my friend across the aisle. Anyway... Uh, check us out tomorrow uh, here, uh, 9 to 11 on Sundays, 9 to 11. And uh, other than that, we'll be right here uh, 10 o'clock to noon next Saturday live. Uh, same hatchet time, same hatchet station. God bless you, America. See the shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. There's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say